Well, as you can tell, we are at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. This long journey, this year-long almost journey is coming to uh, an end. But I did think it would be good just to begin this morning. I know that, that uh, yesterday was a big sports day, and so I wanted to just start off this morning by telling you a sports story. I was able to travel this weekend, uh, Friday and Saturday. Every year, there's these guys that I uh, was roommates with in college, uh, really, really, really good friends. And uh, you heard one of them on the podcast not too long ago. Uh, but every year, we try to do something where we get together. One of them lives uh, in Lubbock, and one of them lives in Dallas, and I live here. And so we're spread across the state. And so we decided that this year we were going to go to um, a, uh, we we're going to go to Dallas. We were going to go to, we knew that it was not wise to invest our money uh, to watch tech. Uh, play TCU, and that turned out to be a really wise non-investment. Um, so other than, we decided we were going to go to a Mavericks game. Um, we were a big Mavericks fan, big NBA fan, and so we were going to go to a Mavericks game. And so I'm up in the, uh, in the nosebleeds, uh, way up in the nosebleeds, because I'm cheap and not going to pay the ridiculous prices to be not in the nosebleeds. And so way up at the very, very, very top, and there's a, there's a curse in my family and the curse is, uh, and I, I don't know, it's something, it's something my dad must have, have you know, kind of had a Jonah moment, the Jonah and the whale moment at some point where this curse was on our family that whenever we go to a sporting event, uh, regardless of how far away the opposing team is, their loudest and most obnoxious fan always sits right next to my family every single time. And my dad, man, he, my, I, he is... Um, let me just say intense uh, when, he, when he watches uh, the Cowboys and, um, and anything tech, and it would never fail. We would go to a game, and, and I mean, we could be playing whoever, you know, like Mars State, and uh, the person from Mars would literally sit like right next to us. And so it was amazing. We get up in the nosebleeds at the Mavericks game. I'm so excited. I get to see Luka Doncic play live. Like I'm just geeking out, kind of feeling like a kid. And, uh, and there's nobody sitting next to me, which if you know about the nosebleeds, you know that you have to like fold yourself into the seats. Um, and there was no one sitting next to me. So I had a little leather leg room and there was nobody in front of me. And the first half of the first quarter goes and it is just like, yes, cheap seats pay off for the first time ever. And then, and then. And you know who they were playing? The Toronto Raptors. Do you know where that is? You know, it's not anywhere near Dallas. Um, it's, it's a long way away um, in a place called Canada. And, uh, and all the way from a place called Canada, I guess, uh, came this number one most obnoxious Raptors fan. And do you want to know where they sat? right in front of me and oh my it was an experience and uh, I'll just so that's just when I go to you if we, anybody want to come, to come to a sports game with me that will be your experience so we had fun uh, okay we're in the Sermon on the Mount that story there's no there's no connection to the Sermon on the Mount uh, I just needed to tell you a story. All right, here we go. We're, this is the end. So this is, I mean, we, we just read it. Brittany just read it uh, for us that when he had finished these sayings. So Matthew is going to close out the Sermon on the Mount right here. And I felt like, man, if we're going to do that, we've got to step back from the sermon a little bit. And we've got to try and get a bird's eye view uh, over all the things that have been said. What is about to come to a close? Because a lot has been said. So I'm just going to try to really quickly 
go through some of the big, big highlights. And remember that Matthew's gospel opens with the genealogy of Jesus and the declaration that the kingdom of God is here. And then Jesus uh, begins to heal. He begins to demonstrate uh, the reality of the kingdom of God breaking in. And, and then we very quickly after that, we've got the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus begins with the Beatitudes, where he, he starts showing them that in the kingdom, blessing and favor comes in some very unexpected places and to some very out-of-the-way people. That the arrival of the kingdom means that blessing and favor has come, and it might not be in the places that you would expect it. And then he talks to them about a family that he is gathering. And Matthew's setting up a picture that we're gonna get to here in just a minute. He's trying to, throughout his gospel, he is connecting the person and the work of Jesus uh, into the story of Israel. This is really, really uh, an important part of Matthew's gospel. And so Jesus is seen as this one that is gathering the family, a new humanity for a new exodus And this new family is going to be a family that is going to be a salt and light agent in the world, right? He says that you are the city set on a hill, that you are salt and light in the world. And then Jesus begins to teach them Torah. He begins to teach them the law. He says, you've heard that it was said, and he quotes the law, and he says, but I say to you, and he goes through, and in, and in category after category after category, what Jesus does is he shows how what the law was pointing to all along was the brokenness of the human heart. That at the core of all the things that you see wrong in the world, the violence and injustice, the, the way we treat one another, all of it can be traced back into the human heart, which is broken and severed from relationship with God. But Jesus is saying, but I'm here to do a work where I renew humanity, and I'm gonna renew humanity by fixing the problem, by renewing and renovating the human heart. And so this new family is gonna be a family of people with renovated hearts, and they're gonna act in the world as salt and light agents differently Not because I've taught them new rules, but because I have healed their heart. And when human beings' hearts are healed and renewed, they live into the world in a very different way. And then Jesus teaches them how to pray. He talks to them about the importance of their interaction with their Father God. And he says that in this family, you're going to have an intimate connection and union with the Father. And he will always hear you. And he will always give you what you need according to his goodness. And Jesus tells them, so you don't need to worry and be anxious about what is coming and about what tomorrow will bring because you are this family that is under the watch care of your father. And then Jesus tells them how to treat one another. He begins to talk to them about what their relationships as a family, what their relationships with one another are, ought to look like. And he says uh, that life in this family is gonna be challenging at times. There are gonna be moments where we're gonna have to have hard conversations with one another about things like sin in our life. And he says, treat each other carefully. Don't be a bull in a china cabinet when it comes to these these hard conversations. Be careful and make sure that when you go to your brother, you're not going to your brother to just point out some little bitty thing, but that you have examined yourself first. 
and that you've been with God in a way that you would see the log that might be in your own eye before you even go and address the speck of dust that is in your brothers. The point is we need to care for each other with humility. We need to care for one another with the grace and love of God. And then he gives them some warnings. And he says, listen, this is not going to be easy. Living this way is not for the faint of heart, nor will it be easy and obvious all the time. Living this way is gonna require your focus because the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And we don't just walk in a life-giving kingdom of God way haphazardly. It takes focus. And then he warns them and he says, and there will be all sorts of people that try to knock you off track. Some will be false prophets claiming to speak in my name, but there will be no fruit in their life. There will be nothing that looks like the Sermon on the Mount in their life. They will simply be attaching my name to their instruction. He says, watch out for them. And he says, there will also be people that perform acts in my name. They know me by name only, and they they act in the world, and they, they attach my name to their religious actions. But he says, in the end, the day will tell it, because I will say to them, depart from me, I Never knew you. Jesus is warning this community of followers about all of the different ways that they can fall off of the cliff. He's keeping them. He's caring for them. And then he comes to the end. And our final section here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us a parable. I want to just tell you that the way that this is written is meant to be a really, really simple and hard-hitting parable. The power in this parable is in its straightforwardness and in its simplicity. He tells us a parable about two builders. But before we get there, before we get to these two builders, we need to play a game. In your bags, kids, there are normal, there's normally an object, and that object has something to do with the sermon, and sometimes it sits here and I actually never talk about it, and you wonder if I've gone crazy, because I forget about some of it sometimes, but today I've remembered, and now we're not going to have an object in your bag. There is no object in your bag. We are going to play a game, and it is a game called Simon Says. Have you heard of this game? Anybody know Simon Says? It's a fun game. Good, good, good. Okay, I got, all right, this is, let me just throw this out there. This is for kids only. If you're a kid at heart, welcome. You can play. Um, you might stand out, but uh, welcome. Uh, this is for kids and, uh, and certainly college students. You know, I still refer to you as kids, even though I know full well that you're grown adults, but you are welcome to jump in as well. So uh, we're gonna play, and, uh, and we're gonna try to do this quickly because there's more sermons. So if you're playing, go ahead and stand up. I need to see who's playing. I need to see, go ahead and stand up if you're playing Simon Says. Be brave, be brave. Let's go ahead and stand up if you're playing Simon Says. Come on, be brave. Way to go. All right, there we go. Look at these brave people. All right, just a few more seconds. Stand up if you're playing. Stand up if you're playing. Good job, okay, good job. All right, just, okay, good. Hey, look at me, look at me. Look at me. Okay, I need you to listen. If you're standing, you're out. Go ahead and sit down. If you're standing, you're out. Why? Because I did not say Simon Says. Okay, if you're still in, raise your hand. If you're still in, raise your hand. If you're still in. Yeah, if I, okay, if you're still in, raise your hand and you caught me. Okay, if you just raised your hand, you're also out. Very good. Very good. Okay, good. So that should eliminate just about everybody. Good job, everybody. We're really not so great at that game. Good. That was good. 
I've practiced a bunch on my kids. <laughs> oh, man. What's the point of that game? The point of that game is to listen really closely. When you listen really closely, you respond based on what you have heard. That's the story that Jesus is going to tell. The point of what Jesus is about to say to us is he's about to say to us, listen, what I have given you are words of life. I have taught you concerning God's kingdom, concerning the human heart, everything about who I am and who you are in me. He's, I'm teaching you. Now the question is going to be about whether or not we do what Jesus says. And here's what he says. He tells a story. I love the way Jesus uses stories to illustrate points. He says that if you hear these words of mine and do them, then you will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Now, the thing you need to see here is I'm about to read the next part. Jesus uses the exact same words. He doesn't depart at all from the way in which he told the story other than to highlight the differences between the two builders. Okay, you tracking? So he's gonna use the exact same words other than the ones that are opposite. He's doing this on purpose to, to show us the differences between the two. He says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. The first one was does, the second one does not do them. Will be like, not a wise, but a foolish, you see it? But a foolish man who built his house on the sand, not the rock. And the rain fell, so the exact same situation. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. The first house did not fall, but this house fell and great was its fall. Jesus sets these two builders apart and he shows us the opposite. There was one that does, that does build his life on what Jesus has said, and there was the one that does not. There was the one that was wise because he built his, his uh, house on the rock of what Jesus said, and he applied it. And the other was foolish because he did not. That, that first builder, the wisdom of hearing and doing what Jesus said, put his house on the rock, and the, the foolish person who heard Jesus but did not do what he said was built on the sand. And when the testing came, and notice that the storm was the same for both of them. The storm was the same for both, and one did not fall because it was built on the rock of hearing and doing what Jesus says, and the other fell. Because all that was there was the hearing of Jesus' words and not the doing. Now, we need to understand a little bit about uh, first century Palestine and, and building practices. This is super simple, but it helps us get our head around it. Most of the time, uh, because of the weather patterns, uh, building would have taken place in what would be called the dry season similar to Texas for the last uh, little while. There was a long, dry season where there literally would not be a drop of rain for many, many uh, months, for long periods of time. But then 
when the dry season transitioned into the wet season, you would have mass amounts of rain in short periods of time. And then you would have long stretches where just like in the dry season, it would have been dry, no drop of rain. In the wet season, it would have been a deluge and it would have been consistent. It would have been daily rain uh, throughout the wet season. It would literally rain in buckets. And what would happen is that because of that, because of those patterns, people would build in the dry season, right? It was, it was purposeful. You can't build. There's nothing much that can happen in the wet season, so they would build in the dry season. And what's interesting is that a house built on the sand and a house built on the rock would look, throughout the dry season, would look the exact same. There would be very little difference that you would be able to tell at the, in the construction of those homes if you were not gonna look at the, the foundation of the building, but you were just gonna look at the building itself. During the dry season, they would both look the exact same. But what happens when the rain comes? When the rain comes and hits sand, the whole game changes. When the rain comes and hits sand, how many of you know what happens to sand in a lot of rain? Right, it beats it down, channels start to uh, work their way out, sand erodes really, really, really easily, and it crumbles. And anything built on something that now has a bunch of holes in it is not going to hold up. And Jesus is saying here that this is the difference. This is the reality of what it looks like to either A, hear and do, hear and apply my words, or B, hear my words and then walk away and do nothing about it. And the question I think we often come up with is, wait a minute, well, what is the storm? That's what we want to know. What is the storm? Does the storm represent something that happens in, in, in this life? Does it represent trial? Does it represent difficulty? Does it represent judgment? Does it represent something else? And, and, and I think the reason, the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> Does it represent difficulty? Does it represent challenges in life of either success or failure? Does it represent judgment? Does it represent, you know, it, the answer is yes. The answer is yes, because the point here is not for Jesus to explain, nor does he intend to explain what the storm actually is. That's not the point. The only point that we should gather from the storm is that the storm will come. The consistent thing between the two is not just the building. The consistent thing between the two is the storm, that there will be things that come and beat against the building, there will be challenges. We will face things that will reveal the true nature of who we are and what we are living according to. And I think we like to think that the storm is some end judgment. And I think we like to think that because it's really convenient to think that way because it puts a whole lot less pressure on what I'm doing about what Jesus said right now. Well, all he's really talking about is those that will be either saved or lost at the end. That's really what he's talking about. That's not what he's talking about. That's not the point that Jesus is trying to make. Is end judgment included? Sure. Call it a storm. There will be a great revealing, sure. But that's not the point that Jesus is trying to make. The point that Jesus is trying to make is that there will be ways in which in each of our lives, throughout our lives, and at the end, we will experience things that will reveal the true nature of who we are and what we have built our life on. 
He's just told them that the gate is narrow and the way is hard. Of course, there are going to be storms. There is going to be tension as we walk in this life attempting to follow Jesus. But what's the difference between the two builders? It's not the building and it's not the storm. Those are actually things that are the same. What's the difference between the two builders? Again, the power is in the simplicity. The difference is simply this, that one of them chose to build a life on what Jesus said and one of them chose not to. One chose to hear the words of Jesus and build a life on it. The other chose to hear the words of Jesus and maybe say, that was really profound. That was really good. (laughs) Or, I think he's quite crazy, thank you. (laughs) But the point is that one built their life on the words of Jesus and the other, for whatever reason, did not. What Jesus is saying here is that everything I taught you, these words of mine, these words are life. And you will either hear and respond or hear and not respond, but sooner or later the truth of what you chose to do with the words that I have given you, the truth will be revealed. Either they are words of life or they are not. Either this is the revealed will of God or it is not. Either we will hear them and act on them And set out to live this way or we won't. And you might say, well, my goodness, those are really, that's a really hard thing. He's he's really taught us some hard stuff. How am I supposed to do it? Notice Jesus doesn't say, those of you that have a perfect success rate in living out the Sermon on the Mount, those of you that do that, those are the ones that have the house built on the rock. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus just wants to know. He's telling this story to challenge us, to invite us to take on his words as a way of living or not. And there is only the grace of God available for those who choose to take on his words and move forward. Now you may go, wait a minute. (laughs) What did you just say about the grace of God? First of all, let me say this. That it's only by the grace of God that we even hear the truth anyway. So I'm not saying that God's grace isn't present. But when we hear the words of Jesus and we step back from them and go, oh man, I don't know, I think that sounds really good, but I'm not quite sure I'm going to live that way. We will not, in in that stage of disobedience, we will not experience the grace of God that empowers us to live that way. Nor will we experience the grace of God if we look at the Sermon on the Mount and we go, man, that sounds great, but that also sounds really, really hard. There's no way I can do that. And so we don't step in because we don't think we can, can, we can succeed. Those will also not experience the grace of God. It will only be those who hear Jesus' words and know that it is impossible for me on my own to do any of it, but you've called me in any way, and so here I come. Those will be the ones that experience the grace of God, the inworking power of the Holy Spirit that carries us along and in and through us sees the power of God demonstrated in our lives. Notice also, this is a big deal in our church culture, that Jesus doesn't say, anyone who hears those words and agrees that I'm right, 
I railed on this a couple weeks ago. I'm not gonna do it again. I'm gonna try not to. But agreement and belief are different things. Agreeing that Jesus is right, agreeing that these are truthful words is different than living by them. Agreement only takes some sort of intellectual connection. That's it. Living by them takes this thing called faith. Because what it says is that I am going to now live as if what I've heard is true. That's faith. And Jesus didn't say, those of you that think I really said some good things there, your house is built on a rock. The problem is I think we have churches full of people that are only saying, I think Jesus has some really good things to say. And churches should be full of people that say, yeah, he had some really hard things to say, and I've given my life in the pursuit of what he has said, and we together are experiencing the grace of God in all of our striving and all of our working together to live this thing out. That's what the church is supposed to be, the people that have taken on his yoke as a way of living, not people that think that Jesus was really smart. You with me? Jesus says in verse 24, anyone who hears these words of mine, now this is really cool. This is part of the picture that Matthew is painting. That phrase, anyone who hears these words, was often associated with Torah teaching. You can actually see this in the Psalms. If you read through the Psalms, there are so many different Psalms that talk about the life that is in God's law. You'll see that word law, it's the word Torah. And oftentimes what it would be said is basically anyone who hears the words of the Torah and lives them out. There is wisdom, there is blessing, there is life, right? The phrase, Jesus is borrowing a phrase, but he's changing things. Jesus doesn't say anyone who hears the words of the Torah. Jesus says anyone who hears these words of mine. Matthew is drawing our attention to a dramatic shift that's taking place. And I wanna just point this out to you. If you wanna just look at one of those examples, Psalm 19, the end of verse 11, says that there is great reward in keeping the law, keeping Torah. Anyone who hears the words of the Torah, there is great reward in keeping it. There is wisdom in doing what the Torah says. But Jesus takes that phrase and then he applies it to himself. Now let's step back from the Gospel of Matthew real quick and let's look at the picture he's painted because this will help us in understanding what Jesus is doing by using these words. Matthew is painting a picture for us. He begins in chapter one and he begins in chapter one all the way back in Matthew one by, by talking about where God's people are before Jesus is born. Where are they? They are in exile. They are in slavery and he says, in the midst of that, a child is born. And the announcement then follows that God's kingdom has arrived. Repent, God's kingdom is here. Now, does this, for any, any readers of the whole Bible, does this bring into your mind any sort of picture that is familiar? 
Any, any other time in Israel's history when they were enslaved and then where there was a child born, a redeemer child that was born that would rescue Israel and bring her out of slavery through, through miraculous signs and wonders, through the announcement that God's kingdom is here, rescue is here, now come out. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, what's his name? Starts with an M, ends with Oses. This is a smart church. It's the Exodus story. God's people in Exodus are under the tyrannical rule of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Bible says that God heard their cries, and God raises up a son that is one of them from amongst them. Listen to the announcement in Exodus chapter six, verse six through eight, because he says there's an announcement, there's a kingdom announcement. And God says, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. What is the announcement? The announcement is that rescue is here. Who's making that announcement? Moses. Jesus steps on the scene. This firstborn son from Israel steps on the scene and says, I know that you are in exile, but the kingdom is here and I will lead you out. I will show you, I will gather you as a family and I will lead you out from the hand of slavery to sin and death and I will give you life. Matthew is painting this picture for us. And what happens? As the Israelites leave Egypt, what happens? They're taken to a significant place, Mount Sinai. And what happens on the hillside as Moses meets with God? What does Moses come down with from the hillside? What does Moses do as he perches himself on the hillside and teaches the people? What is he teaching them? The law. And here Jesus sits perched on the hillside teaching his people the law. You see it? You guys good? It was on the hillside, it was on Mount Sinai that God revealed his righteous standard through Moses. Matthew is retelling that story for us, pointing to Jesus and saying the true Moses is here. The true Moses is here revealing to us the true nature of who God is, the fulfillment of Torah. Remember, Jesus says, I'm not here to abolish the law and the prophets, but I'm here to fulfill. Jesus, perched on the hillside, teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, is pointing to the divine righteousness of God that the law has been pointing to the whole time. Jesus, though, lives it out. To this point, there had been no one that had lived into, fully into, the righteous standard of God. Jesus doesn't just teach it, but then he embodies it. Jesus, as Israel's representative, lives out the the requirement of the law. But he doesn't just do that in a vacuum. Jesus lives it out, and then in doing so, through faith in him, applies it to all of those that would be his 
He's living it out and fulfilling the law in such a way that he can then empower you and I to be people who live out the law just like him. That's called Christ-likeness. That's called displaying the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then look at verse 28 and 29 of Matthew chapter 7. This is where it's going to step on our toes. (laughs) And when Jesus finished these sayings. Now this is really cool. If you just want to dive into Matthew, Matthew actually breaks up all five sections of his gospel with a similar statement. This one is, and when Jesus had finished these sayings, when Jesus had finished doing these things is another. And he goes five different times in his gospel, he breaks it up. It's like breadcrumbs throughout the story. He's painting a picture of the new exodus. It says, when Jesus had finished these sayings, now watch the reaction of the crowd. This matters. The crowd's were astonished at his teachings. Why? Listen, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, authority, and not as one of their scribes. What is Matthew pointing us to here? What's happened? There is a total, Jesus says, anyone who does these words of mine And then Matthew says, and the crowds were astonished because there was authority in a place that they did not expect it to be. There has been in this gospel, in this moment, there has been a moment where authority has been relocated. No longer is authority located on tradition and Torah. No longer is authority located in the hands of the scribes who would explain what the Torah is. Here, Matthew says that the authority has totally shifted to the one who is the new Moses, to the one who is the fulfiller of the law. It is not on Torah itself, but it is on the person of Jesus who is the giver and fulfiller of the law. Think about what these people's experience would have been, the people that would have been listening to Jesus. All their lives, they have been taught what it means to be Abraham's children. All of their lives, they've been taught what it means to be Abraham's children. All their lives, they've been taught Torah and that living into the law of God was the way in which they demonstrated who they were. The law was the thing that set God's people aside as unique on the earth, that we live in a certain way. We live according to God's righteous standard. And all their lives, they'd been focused on living into the Torah, even in exile, even when we're away from our home, even in exile, how is it that we live into God's law? All their lives, they'd been taught the Psalms, The law of God is sweeter than honey. That there is wisdom and life when we live into what God has called us to. And here is a humongous shift. Jesus points back to all that they knew, all that they'd heard, you've heard it said. And Jesus agrees with it. He doesn't say, you've heard it said, and that was totally wrong. (laughs) He points back to it, and he agrees with all that they knew. But then he tells them, but the one that is greater than Moses is here. The one that this whole thing has been pointing to is here. In me, the law and the prophets are being fulfilled 
And Jesus says, now, so because of that, now, in following me, hearing my words and doing what I say, learning to live the way of love is the fulfillment of Torah. And then he tells them, he asks them the question, after displacing the authority of Torah and saying it's all fulfilled on me, everything is held in me, and then he says, what are you gonna do with what I've taught you? Think about the challenge that he's just issued. He's just told them, are you gonna go back? Are you gonna go back to the way that it was before? Or are you gonna build your house on these words? The true Moses, the real Exodus, the fulfiller of the law and the prophets, the giver of the law. Are you gonna build your life here? Or are you gonna go back to old things. And I love the way that Matthew writes it. Notice he doesn't tell us anything about what they do. It just ends. They're just astonished. Why? Why does the gospel leave us here? Well, it's because the invitation of the crowd is our invitation as well. What are you, beloved, going to do? What are you and I in this room? We've just for a year For a year, we've been diving into these words. For a year, we've taken apart every little piece. We've dissected it. We've understood what it meant. We've seen the life that is in it. And here you and I sit at the base of the hillside, having heard Jesus teach. And he says to us, anyone who hears these words of mine and does them, will be wise. The invitation of the crowd is our invitation as well. Now, don't forget that this invitation comes within a larger narrative. Here's what's about to happen. There's more story. So real quickly, what follows is that Jesus is gonna live out and continue to live out and demonstrate the righteousness of God's kingdom all the way to the cross. And in this great climactic act, Jesus is gonna fulfill the law through the ultimate act of love and sacrifice where he will lay down his life on behalf of Israel and therefore on behalf of the world. And then he will be raised overcoming death and giving life to all who come by faith in his name. And he, in that great act, is gathering a family, a covenant family of Jew and Gentile, of male, female, slave, free, as Paul says it, of the nations of the world, a new covenant family in him, a new covenant family who by him and through the power of the Spirit will live into the righteous requirement of the fulfillment Filled law in Jesus. But you and I cannot escape the question what will we do? Will we build the entirety of our lives on these words? Or will we walk away and think, wow, he said some really nice things? Wouldn't it be great if we all did that? Or wow, I learned something about Jesus and Torah today. 
There will be days that are coming, that are here, that are coming, and that will ultimately come, where the reality of building a life on Jesus' words will be revealed. There will be days and a day where you and I will see clearly that Jesus and his words were words of life and that building our lives on the words of Jesus was the best and safest thing that any of us could do. But there will also be storms. There will be challenges. And in those challenges, in those moments to come, there will be a revealing that nobody in this room can escape. There is nobody here that will escape the reality of storms that we will walk through that will ask the question, did you or did you not build your life on the words of Jesus? No pretending, no intellectual understanding will hide us in those days of the storm where it will be revealed whether or not we looked at Jesus in the eye and said, you have the words of life, where else would I go? I'm building everything right here on these words. There will be no church attendance that will cover the reality of your choice today. There will be no religious act that will cover the reality of your choice today. Will we or will we not build everything on the words of Jesus? The invitation of the crowd is our invitation today, and I'd love for you to stand. And I just, as an invitation, just want to read these words again. And I would just tell you, if you want to spend some time up here at the front in prayer, you're welcome to do that. If you want to pray with somebody, if there's something you just need to, need to chat about, need somebody to pray for with you, please go out any of these double doors on this side of the room, and there will be people that are out there ready to pray uh, with you. Everyone then, Jesus said, who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Lord, help us to build our house on the rock. Where else would we go? You have the words of life. Holy Spirit, lead us, guide us into truth. We trust you in Jesus' name, amen.